0: Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Steve Boggs, my dear friend, for Living Library interview, and it's an honor and joy to see you, Steve, and I'd like to just welcome you and invite you to share anything about your own evolution as a Trillium teacher, Mm -hmm. what your initial sense of being a teacher would be like, your orientation and what might have changed in your focus or practice over time and all of this with an eye towards speaking to new teachers. What advice might you offer? Mm -hmm. Just wherever you want to go with any of that.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, I would say that... um, I, I came to this work rather late in my life. I was probably in my 60s, and, and I, I came from nearly 40 years of practicing and teaching meditation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was a pretty serious practice because the last 35 years, I was devoting probably an average of three hours a day practice. And there were a number of periods during those 30 years, and I took longer and more extended courses of three to six months or nine months where we would plan meditate seven or eight hours a day. And you can imagine uh, in situations like that, you come into some pretty rarefied states. And um, I think it's safe to say for those 30 years, I was very much a uh, transcendentalist. I was, I was going to say in search of, but I wouldn't say in search of so much. I was was cultivating the the one, the true, the pure, the immovable, the Mm. uncreated, the... uh, Unfailingly radiant, heatless, smokeless, effulgent of the self, mm. and that glorious goal uh, was um, rewarded. It was—I I was not without uh, substantial experience of that. You don't continue doing something for forty years uh, if you're not making some pretty good progress. And um, yeah, I, I would say that. That in, in my experience of that period, uh, there was a long trail of what at the time were described as good experiences, both in meditation and outside. And, um, But the, the thing is, when you continue that for such a long time and um, don't entirely... How do I say this? Uh... Don't entirely arrive at your stated goal that I, you know, all those adjectives I just threw out there. Um, mm. the, the tendency and so often, even the instruction as well, meditate more mm. or do these other things. I, I had, uh, you don't do that with, with, for that long without accumulating a lots of advanced techniques and procedures and processes and whistles and bells. And and I didn't even realize it, but I was like one of those uh, female uh, uh, acrobats in a Chinese acrobatic thing. You know that they have those sticks and they spin these plates.
0: Oh yeah. Oh,
1: then they have one and they get two. Oh man, they can do two. And then I do in th- that three. And then you can, they can and they get more and more and they're spinning these like a five plates. And they're and they're riding a unicycle and the <laughs> unicycle's on a <the> balance bar. <laughs> and if you practice that, you get to be a, you know quite adept at at. A lot of whistles and bells, and I was like that after four years. Uh, and um, it, so, it has,
0: I assume it did not—it did not feel precarious at all. No. You were comfortable
1: no. to the person who's yeah. doing that, who's, who's practiced that for forty years. Yeah. Five, five, five places, nothing. Ten places might be a challenge, you know. Uh-huh. And no, it, it felt normal as a natural progression of more advanced techniques and more. Okay, so now do this, and, and mm. increasing familiarity with that really deep zone between, somewhere between thought and perception and these subtle feels, mm-hmm. and um, they also spilled over into your life, into, okay, what to eat, how to eat, when to eat, what herbs to take at what time of the year, and, and more and more was always available. As you know, there's no end to self-improvement, and, and it got into, well, what color clothes should you wear, what um, gemstones should you wear what periods of your life on, on which finger of your hand do you install it on? What day of the week on, and uh, uh, <laughs> in your, what kind of house should you live in? What proportions in, and what do, what compass direction should you face when you're standing at the sink or sitting on the toilet? And you're like, you know, <laughs> there's no end, you know, <laughs> and I was doing all that. It the it natural. I, I, I the, the goal was so precious and so, you know, inculcated into me that, that no, no, all these little things accumulate and and, sudden, and your your whole life is directed towards that. And, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, but I, I ultimately, I started to feel like I was kind of on a Zeno's, Zeno's paradox of approach without that, uh, self-validating confirmation of arrival. I was getting closer and closer and closer and wondering if I'd ever arrive, you know, that Zeno's paradox. Yeah. And, um, coincidentally at that same time some friends of mine who had accompanied me on this long journey 40 years uh said you know we we found this uh this 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 finishing school which we think is pretty great and uh, you should look into it Steve because this might be right up your alley Mm -hmm. and it was this work and my first expo my first experience of this I was here in Fairfield and Samuel turned up in town and made a presentation at the Fairfield Public Library and 2002, and uh, I was a little nervous there because I was I was then going to become a uh, apostate in the ashram because the whole town of Fairfield is an ashram, basically, you know, 2,500 diehard spiritual seekers, all all doing the same, the same, all those techniques that I was referring to, mm. and uh, here I was showing up. I was casting a wider net, you know, which is not common here, and. Um, so I was, I was set somewhere in the middle, maybe towards the back, and I was. Gonna, and the first thing Samuel said was, "Well, I'd like everyone to say who they are and what they what they expect from from being here. I mean, I, I like to get a feel for who you people are." And I thought, "Oh, great! <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> just I'm what trying
0: to be invisible."
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I've always been a very um, uh, innocent, uh, sincere, or overly earnest diligent seeker, and here I was, you know, becoming heterodox. Mm. So I f- figured out something I thought was sufficiently respectable to say in 30 seconds, and finally got to be my turn. I was looking at Samuel, and he was looking at me, and everything I thought I was going to say was just gone. I didn't know what to, I was just panicked. And uh, all I could do, all I I heard myself blurting out was, I'm just so tired of swinging back and forth between hope and resignation. And then I just put my hands in my face and cried quietly to myself. And and I thought, holy crap, what the hell's going on here? And it was my first taste of the power of this transmission.
0: Oh, how beautiful.
1: to, To pierce and cut through all of the mental accrucian, you know, all that respectable stuff that you have to present yourself to the world and to call out who you actually are in your heart of hearts and to enliven that and to bring it to the fore. And um, did, little did I know it at the time, but I was a large and dry pile of kindling waiting for the spark of this transmission. (laughs) (laughs) And I have been helplessly aflame ever since (laughs) December of 2002.
0: (laughs) What a great metaphor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um... Yeah, so this work is based on, a, on most of the heavy lifting, and this is based on a, on a transmission. It's completely different than the Advaitic dimension of, of what I was doing before, because it's very much like most conventional spirituality, which is typically thought of as an ascent. You know, you, uh, you're in search of greater purity, greater accumulation of greater spiritual clarity, and you're climbing Jacob's ladder, whether it's western eastern most probably eighty percent of these processes are have to do with ascent and increasing purification and and uh, cultivating the numinous and um this I discovered initially, initially to my dismay that it's a descent
0: <laughs>
1: it's unnerving and it's uh, feels hazardous and actually is. And uh, it's, it's threatening to all of the uh, accumulations of of uh, spiritual and psychological armor that we've, they've accumulated in, in living this life and in, in a world where love really hasn't taken its hold yet. You know? And we all come to this with our tender spots and... Um, it's a tantric process, but I want to immediately clarify, I want to use that word. It's, um in the West Tantra tantras, tantras is has unfortunately become known as uh, uh making a religion out of having great sex. And uh it's not uh, well it's not it's not that it it's that's such a superficial and insubstantial simplification. Uh it it's there's a long and uh rich deep lineage that goes with this and, and which stems from something called Kashmir Shaivism and it's um, the difference between you know, most of spiritual te- processes in this is that there's not a lot of practices to, for you to impose on yourself there's not so many do's and don'ts and uh, all the things that are thought of often as as obstacles to spiritual growth in this work are embraced and through that embrace um, transformed. And ultimately, and here's the key, ultimately realized to not only not be obstacles, but, but to not actually be separate from that that what you thought was that that wondrous spiritual goal that, that you were going to inhabit one day when you rose above all of the limitations. Mm. The question that this process asks is, what if there's nothing to renounce? What a, yeah, it's a breathtaking question uh, because the way this awakening happens right in the trenches of, of life. And uh, I, w- I would say that um, some years ago there was, there was a play off-broadway in New York called Now Hear This. It sounds like a prelude to an announcement on a naval submarine or something. <laughs> now hear this. this. is the captain speaking, adjust to, uh, to uh, degree 281 or whatever. But it, that's not it. The second word, the hook is, the second word of this is H-E-R-E. Mm. Now hear this. And that kind of symbolizes how I sense uh, how, how this where this work takes place, how it is... Uh, embodied in this world right now, right here, just this, whatever is arising um, within you internally or externally in your circumstances is where this awakening occurs. And in that way, all the things that you've been avoiding, some of your worst stuff you thought of of, of as, as your, your, your greatest impediments can be part of, of your spiritual journey through that embrace. And um, that is so, you know, so kind of diametrically opposite to that purity that I was cultivating for so long. Um, and I, so I guess what I would say about myself as a teacher is what I transmit and teach is... Um, the divinity of ordinary life.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, my, what I've come to know is that there, there's a porous, tender, burning communion with all things that characterizes in some people this embodied awakened life. And that's very much the quality of what I found in in my awakened life. And um, there's a kind of radical uh, intimacy that presents itself, and you...
0: Um,
1: You, you, you the the, the paradox of, of being both distinct and not separate um uh, is it, it there's a felt sense of kinship with with everything that 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 happens all around you and and the uh tradition i used to be part of there's an idea in sanskrit concept maya maya is often thought of that maya translated directly is that which is not. And it's often interpreted as the world is an illusion. And the ego is non-existent, and you just have to see it truly. And I think a better definition of maya is all things are separate. Because, for me, the most fundamental quality that I recognize in this awakening is this non-separateness with everything what I call this radical intimacy. And, um, you're just, you're not separate from, what? From this cynicism and guile of our president, or from the appalling, or, or, or the, um, intense reaction of people to him or the love and devotion of those who follow him and you're not separate from the the hunger and the thirst and the sleep deprivation and the fear of the migrants walking thousands of miles across the desert in southern Mexico and fleeing in hopes that their children might not die before their time and and You're not separate from any of that. And and you're not separate from the little girl who's in her first school uniform in early September holding her mother's hand, crossing the street in front of your truck. And she's looking up at her mother with uh, trepidation and with... Exhilaration, and her mother was looking down at her with such endearment, and the little girl says, "Mommy, why are you crying?" And you, she says, "It's okay, honey. I'm crying because I'm so happy, and you're not separate from that. Mm-hmm. You see that? You're just pierced by it, and um, that's this—that's this awakened life for me, and." Um, I think um, it's fair, probably fair to say that um, most of the members of the Trillium Awakening Teacher Circle have some version of this, this embodied awakening. But I, I don't think it's any secret that the more florid dimensions of my awakening life make me somewhat of an outlier in that group. And I've become comfortable with that over the years. And if I were to say anything to new teachers, I would say um, this, a large part, it seems to me, of your awakened life is gonna have to do with the, um, with the divine architects that may actually be here for you to personify in this world. Because that's probably a, uh, the more, most meaningful question that arises in this, in this uh, awakened life. is okay, well, now I'm finally really here, so what, what next? What do I do now? And so um, I would say lean into those subtle parts of yourself, which sometimes make you feel awkward. Uh, magnify your eccentricities. And um, it's, it might make the blood run cold, but it, 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 I've often found that the places that are most feel like the most the shyest and tenderest parts of who you are. Those are where your gifts lie, and you will you will never feel more exposed than when you reveal that part of yourself. And you will also be, uh, you'll never be more radiantly generous to the world. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And at that moment, when you are naked to the world, to this tender, um, subtle, but actually quite, resilient part of yourself it doesn't feel that way when you're first taking it out for a spin to see what it's going to reveal but it is resilient and i would encourage you to find those shy tender parts of yourself and see if you can uh, give them voice Mm.
0: So inspiring and encouraging and beautiful! It just feels like manna from heaven. Hearing this, uh, and can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Like, coming from the tradition you did, where the role of teacher was very different than the role in this work. Yes, was that like a you just intuitively reconfigured into? The stream of this, were there was there a disjunct at the beginning, or
1: uh, you... not oh, really? Yeah. Because, um, I, like I said, I was kindling, and and once once I was a, a flame, <laughs> that was the new direction, and uh, it's it, it's clear to me that's who I'm here to be, and mm. in the 16 years since since then, I, um, it hasn't diminished it hasn't it's i could say it's it's a lot more manageable the the intensity is less breathtaking than it was at the beginning and my somehow i guess my nervous system has adapted to running at a higher voltage
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay as an electrician yes <laughs> yes
1: and actually i was listening to a, a some a scientist talk about this and he said actually there's there's a lot of neuroplasticity even late in life 60s and 70s you it, they've observed that actually, in long-time, ten thousand hour, twenty, thirty thousand hour meditators, the amygdala actually gets smaller, mm-hmm. and there are parts of the uh, neocortex, the gray matter, gets thicker, and your brain does change later in your life. And um, so, yeah, no, it, it wasn't difficult because I was. Um, uh, it, when I fell into this and and caught fire, it was, it was just it had a life of its own, and I, I was just I was trying to just catch up with what was already galloping and shimmering across the universe. You know, oh, Steve Boggs' character is, was you know finally in full throat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I ju- I just love your use of language. I imagine that's very catalytic for. Mm. students because it, it's so vivid and embodied just galloping and shimmering I can just see it and feel it and yeah. I, I sense that that's a tremendous gift that you yeah. just spontaneously are able to offer
1: thank you yeah Absolutely. and um, yeah I would say shimmering I would just say that it, it's, it's more it has become the new normal for me but still, I would still say that there is just that nameless something that's unfathomable, and 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 it shimmers just beneath the surface of everything. it's always there, and it touches me in all these different forms, like I mentioned, the the mother escorting her daughter across the street, or in or in or in the or in the, the challenging forms of it, because. Uh, your your non separateness is not just with the good stuff. You're you're you're, you're not separate from the whole range of of from the most uh, ecstatic to the most case of greatest depraved indifference. Uh, there's a, there's a part of you which which feels intimate with that, and it's, it's a challenge to be in the tumble of that, of that living in this realm where everything is so temporal and so contingent and so uh, shifting, and yet here you are, and you are not separate from any of it as it tumbles through its kaleidoscope, you know, and that's you. Mm. And um, that's how the deeply embodied awakening life it's often felt
0: mm. seems to me. That is so so rich and generous and gorgeous, Steve. So appreciate you. Thank Does you. anything else come no. arise to be mm. shared?
1: Well, uh what's It's still an exploration for me. Uh, It's becoming more clear. I'm trying to find the words for it. But I would say, you know, that self I referred to, the one, the true, the pure, the immovable, the unfailing ingredient that I was seeking and sitting on a cushion by myself, I find now that the the true self, capital T, capital S, is... um, I guess the best way I could say it is, it's, it's the indivisible field of love that actually surrounds us and is, is omnipresent. And it's the air that we breathe. Um, it's, it's like a fundamental force, like gravity. Uh, and, and yeah, in a sense, I would say, It's like gravity, and like gravity is an attractive force that's always drawing everything, all matter, into closer connection. Mm -hmm. Gravity is the arrows of matter. And like that, this fundamental field, there's got to be a better word, but I can't know what it is, but this fundamental field of love, it's it's, it's just there, and... Most char- most most accurately characterizes the true self that I was seeking all those forty years.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yes, I resonate with all that you have said, and I couldn't possibly have articulated it. So your naming of all this is like a, a validation and a Green lighting and acknowledging yeah. this dimension. You're like a poet laureate of <laughs> 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 this archetype. Do you have a name for your archetype?
1: Oh, I would say it's the devotee. If it was oh. the, the devotee, the one who's just for whom adoration comes naturally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, know, you know that.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to that and to many more conversations with you.
1: Yeah, I hope so.
0: Thank you so much, Steve.
1: Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Absolutely.